0: Okay, this morning we're taking our Bibles again, and we're looking at the Gospel of Mark, chapter four. And um, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Your iPads, your iPhones, or it's this morning. It's listed on the back of the bulletin too. If you want to follow along today, the question today is: Do you have ears that hear? Let's pray. Lord, this morning, I do thank you, Lord, for your grace and mercy that you bestow upon us. Just, Lord, the privilege that we have every single week to meet together, to worship, to meet together, to hear your word, to meet together. Uh, just, Lord, to lift up our voices, lift up our hearts to you in worship. Thank you for that. I pray, Lord, we would always count that as the highest event of the week. And Lord, make us ready so when we leave these doors, we can be witnesses. We can be the people that plant the seed of the Word of God. We can be the people that even see the fruit of the Spirit of God working in our life as He sanctifies us and makes us more and more like Christ. Preparing us, Lord, we know for your presence. So Lord, this morning as we look at this familiar and well-known passage of Scripture that you would again impress it upon our hearts so we would understand it even further and that we would use it and implement it in our lives for our own examination and for the examination of ministry. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, before I look at the text this morning and read the first part of it, uh. This is going to be the parable, of course, the sower, or the parable, better, the parable of the soils. Um, So it's very familiar uh, for people who have been believers and have been in the Word of God. You've heard it before. Um, There's a crisis that is getting worse and worse in our land, and it's the crisis of hearing. It's the crisis of hearing, yes, yes because we live in a multimedia, entertainment-saturated culture, where television and other media sources has really helped to create a society of watchers and not listeners. And it's getting worse. People who are fascinated by pictures, fascinated by fast moving action and are not educated by words the lord didn't give us words on a page for nothing i even say to people listen if you're using an electronic bible you're not going to know your bible if you just start out using that and continue to use it you got to use a paper bible because a paper bible helps you to find out places in the bible it helps you to photograph pages in your mind when you heard a particular sermon or you read a particular passage of Scripture and you remember where it was. Can't do that with electronic media. So there's a place for it. Don't get me wrong. I like it. I use both. But don't ever give up the paper Bible. Don't ever give up that because, and, and teach younger people to make sure that they're using the paper Bible too, because it's very important that God has used words. Of course, this is not a new crisis with fallen humanity. As a matter of history, the first step towards man's fall was when Eve substituted what she saw. Remember what it says in Genesis 2. The tree was pleasing to her sight. For what she heard... From her husband, from God, which was, you shall not eat from it. When the Son of Man was on the earth, his most important ministry was proclaiming the word of God, not performing miracles. And he was saying in Mark chapter 4, and verse 9, look what it says there, Mark 4, 9. And he was saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now that's going to be a main passage of Scripture in this section. And to be sure, though, don't get me wrong, miracles were important as evidence of his messiahship and proof of his great compassion for needy people. But declaring the word of God was his priority. Remember, declaring the word of God is the priority of the apostles. Unfortunately, the crowds that surrounded Jesus wanted to see miracles more than they wanted to hear what he was saying. So our text today is really about our ears and how well they hear spiritual truth. This passage also teaches us that there is a spiritual connection between the heart, the mind, the emotion, the will, and the ear. What we hear. Ask yourselves today, are you an aggressive listener? In other words, are you always prepared to listen When you come to church to a worship service with your Bible open, your pen in hand, your notepad ready. See, are you all ears, in other words? Always ready to add what you already know and add to with that so you can put that spiritual truth into practice. Are you that kind of person? That's the kind of person... God calls to himself because a disciple literally is a learner and a learner wants to hear what the teacher has to say so they can grow by it so they can of course spiritually be sanctified by the truth and then they can follow more wisely their Lord and Savior. All right now let's look at verse number one of chapter four and get the setting of our narrative today it says this he began to teach again by the sea and such a very large crowd gathered to him that he got into a boat in in the sea and sat down and the whole crowd was by the sea on the land so here's the picture remember the disciples would have always have a boat ready because the crowds were pressing him to the point they were pushing him in the water So there was no room. It was very crowded. They wanted to be as close as possible to Jesus. Remember, they wanted to touch him if they were diseased in some way uh, or had some kind of problem. They wanted to touch him. Uh, So the disciples had a boat, and in this occasion, the boat was let out, and Jesus got into it, so he was on the water teaching. But before going further uh, into this text this morning, there's some background that needs to be considered concerning the kingdom of God. Jesus' teaching this morning contains information about the kingdom of God. And so, what about the kingdom of God? Well, the first thing is that there's the spiritual kingdom of God where it's the kingdom of God in the hearts of men. There's many aspects of the kingdom of God uh, in Scripture. So when Jesus, in other words, ascended into heaven, it surprised his disciples because they really hoped that after he rose from the dead in victory that he would restore the kingdom to Israel immediately. That's what they were hoping. He didn't. At least... It was not at that time. Instead, he told them to go to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit to be poured out because the Spirit of God was going to give them power to be witnesses, to preach the gospel of the kingdom to all tribes and to all nations and to all peoples of the world. And then the end would come. We're still in that time. We're still doing that. But the end is going to come. There's going to be an end to it. In fact, in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, verse 11 and 12, do not turn there, just listen to what it says. Jesus really told his disciples by way of a parable, again, that he was going away, and then he was going to come back again. But listen what it says in Luke. It says, while they were listening to these things, Jesus went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem, and they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. So he told them this. So he said to them, a nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself, and then return. All right, so that's how he starts out that parable, trying to tell the disciples, listen, the kingdom of God in its fullness is not coming yet. I've done everything for that kingdom to grow and that kingdom to finally come, but not yet. So he was telling his disciples that he was a king and that the kingdom was in heaven with the Father and he was not going to establish it at that time. He was going back to heaven where he would receive the kingdom and then he would come back as a king to rule and reign on this earth in strict righteousness and judgment, and that would be called the millennial period where the kingdom comes to earth with Christ and with his saints. So the point is there must be a distinction made between the universal kingdom of God and the spiritual kingdom of God over the redeemed people of humanity. So you know the passages of Scripture well where Jesus is talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Remember Nicodemus, a prominent teacher in Israel, who thought he already had an in to the kingdom of God because he was a Jew. And Jesus surely informed him that the only ones who could see the kingdom of God were those who were born again and that, the only, and that only by new birth can one be transferred into the spiritual kingdom of God. Like he said in John 3 to Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He cannot enter the kingdom of God. So being born again is a prerequisite for entry into the kingdom of God. And of course, remember what it says in the beginning of Mark, when Jesus began to preach, it says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel, and that's how you get entryway into the kingdom of God. So that's how he starts off this gospel. Now, that means that in this portion of scripture, the kingdom of God is known as the kingdom in mystery. So just look down at verse number 11 very quickly in our passage, chapter 4, verse 11. It says, and he was saying to them, or excuse me, yeah, verse 11. And he was saying to them, to you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside get everything in parables. Now let me just stop there. So there is the sense that, It's the kingdom in mystery, and this kingdom in mystery is operating with all the other phases of the kingdom of God. For example, the eternal universal kingdom is operating right now. God's keeping everything in place, the whole universe he's ruling over, right? He's keeping that in place, all right? That's what he does, all right? Also, the kingdom of Satan is in operation still, and so there is wickedness going on while the gospel is being preached. Right, So there, there's those things evident. Now, the Lord wants his disciples to know this because when they go out there, it's not going to be as easy as it may sound when you start giving the gospel to people. All right. Also, the various kingdoms of men are still in operation. We have kings and we have rulers and presidents and prime ministers over countries. So that is still operating in the world along with this mystery phase of the kingdom going on at the same time. And then you have the spiritual kingdom of God in the hearts of men where there's still remaining corruption even in God's own believers that needs to be sanctified and prepared before the presence of God. So there's evil present while the spiritual phase of the kingdom is going on. And of course, the mystery phase of this spiritual kingdom has evil facets to it. Now, If all these are operating at the same time with Christendom, you might expect that some unusual and abnormal things might take place. In fact, one very eventful day, Jesus, for the first time, began to speak in parables. And he spoke in this way concerning the secrets of the kingdom. And if you notice in chapter 4, verse number 2, this is what it says. And he was teaching them many things in parables and was saying to them in his teaching. Now, so Jesus, remember from last week, he's going to start teaching in parables. Now, parables is a unique way of teaching. Parable does mean comparison or analogy. And a parable is really an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Now, a couple things about parables I mentioned last time and, and a few additional things. First, parables, they are connected with the central message that God had begun to assert his kingly power against evil and the promised time of salvation had come. That's why when Jesus went into an area, the demons would be exposed, all right? And then at the same time, he would be calling his disciples to himself, people that were receiving him, as they ought to in repentance and faith and following him. Secondly, parables are not meant to be fully obvious or apparent. They require the hearer or the reader to use some effort to get their point and then provoke the the reader and the hearer to a response, either repentance or rejection. Now some additional things about parables, parables provide insight into the nature, the growth, the consummation of the kingdom of God. And it gives us really a picture, though in words, of the kingdom that has come near as it said in Mark chapter 1 in verse 15. Also parables reveal more truth to those who have receptive ears and hides truth to everyone else. So Jesus, when he is teaching, he is meaning this, that when he started teaching in parables, for his disciples it was meant to be open and understood. For all the rest of the crowd, it was meant to be closed and hidden. And that's what he began to do at a certain point in his ministry. So in parables, Jesus is going to speak of things hidden, And since the foundation of the world, Jesus is going to reveal the secret thought, plan, and dispensations of God, which were hidden from human reason and revealed to them for whom they were intended. So, in other words, those who have ears, let him hear. And so Jesus gave seven parables concerning the secret form of, Of the kingdom of God. And here's the first one. The first one is the parable of the sower or the soils. So let us look at this passage and let me read the first nine verses and then I'll look at the rest. Starting with verse number three it says, Listen to this. Behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he was sowing, some seed fell beside the road and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil and immediately it sprang up and because of it had no depth of soil. And after the sun had risen, it was scorched and because it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns and the thorns came up and choked it and it yielded no crop. Other seed fell into the good soil and as they grew up, and increased, they yielded a crop and produced thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. And verse number nine, and he was saying, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So here's the information. The information is this that Jesus immediately begins to talk in agricultural language, describing the process of sowing seed in order to grow crops. Now, since most Israelites were farmers, it wasn't at at all unusual for Jesus to use a farmer illustration. Jesus tells of a man who goes out into a field to sow his seed. The farmer hopes that in a few months, in a few short months, it will grow and produce a crop at the harvest. But a farmer also knows that simply having good seed... Is not all there is to having a good crop. One of the biggest criteria is the type of soil in which the seed falls, in which the seed is sown in. And so, by the phrase in verse number three, listen to this, behold, Jesus is calling his hearers to play to pay close attention uh, and look careful and listen carefully at what he is saying. So the sower would drape his bag of seed over his shoulder and he would walk up and down the furrows and he would take handfuls of seed and he would throw it out. He would cast it. He would broadcast it. So the biggest criteria is the type of soil which it is sown in. And so the phase that the Lord is calling his disciples to is is something where he wants them to listen. Practically speaking, all Christians must sow the seed of the gospel so others may hear and respond. There will be varied responses, of course. However, that is not our concern. It is our concern to broadcast the seed. It is God himself who is responsible for the harvest. As Paul told the Corinthian church, But God causes the growth when the seed is broadcast. All right, so here's the information of this particular parable. The first part he does very simply. He just gives information about four kinds of soils. Now, the kingdom of God will break into this world by the preaching of the gospel like seed being sown by the farmer. The first As the seed is sown, some seed is going to fall by the roadside, as it says in verse number 4. As he was sowing, some seed fell by the side of the road, and the birds came and ate it up. So the good seed fell by the edge of the road where the soil was well-traveled, and the soil was firmly packed so that it was never really turned over or loosened. And so when the seed fell on the packed soil, it only rested on the top. As a result, the birds came quickly and ate the freshly sown seed. It never took root. It just laid on the soil, and so the birds ate it up. And the rest of it was trampled down by those who walked on the path. So it was either eaten up or trampled over. That's the first kind of soil. The second kind is the shallow rock-based soil, in verse number 5, other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. And it, See, it, was, it's, it is necessary to have some dirt for seeds to sprout. In Israel, there is a strata of limestone rock bed ro- that runs underneath a lot of the land. And usually, usually, this bed of rock lays close to the top of the surface of topsoil. And there is a little soil covering the rocks, and it, but the soil is too superficial to nourish the new seedlings so the root could not get down into the water. And when the hot sun came up, the plants would wilt and die. The seeds sprouted but soon wilted because of lack of root and moisture, as it says in verse number 6. And, this, and after the sun had risen, it was scorched, and it became, and because it had no root, it withered away. That's the second type of soil. The third type is the thorn-infested soil. In verse 7, another seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. So the third type of soil was already supporting a weed patch, complete with thorns and thistles. And at sowing time, it looked clean and ready to receive seed. The seed that landed in the soil began to germinate. But what happened, the fibrous roots hidden underneath began to grow faster, as, as weeds do, they grow faster than the real pe- plants and usually bigger. And the weeds grew tall and, and took up all the ground and choked the good plants until they died. Now, the the good seed was sown, but very soon choked by the weeds and the thorns. And then there was the fourth soil, and that's the fertile soil. It it says in verse 8, other seeds fell into the good soil, and as they grew up and increased, they yielded a crop and produced 30, 60, and 100-fold. So this fourth type of soil was the fertile soil the good ground which had been plowed and weeded and had sufficient water and these and there the plants grew until the farmer could harvest the plentiful crop some like it says 30 60 and 100 fold and so that was the illustration the lord gave now he could have left it there and part of if somebody was trying to understand what that meant then they may have a hard time doing that because not all the information is given there, right? So the Lord, what he does is he says this, all right, I want to do this with you. Remember from last time, you have the outsiders in the crowd and you have the insiders, the outsiders and the insiders, right? So this is what he does. He says, here is the parables, this parable to the insiders, And he says this in verse number 9. Look what it says. It says, and he was saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So Jesus is directing this teaching to a certain group of people, those who hear. Somewhere, some, in other words, were given understanding from the the spiritually rich agricultural story. Others were withheld from having any kind of understanding now who were those who were given understanding well I believe we met this group of people last time we were in chapter 3 of the gospel of Mark it wasn't the general crowd following Jesus it wasn't Jesus family who seemed to misunderstand him and surely it wasn't the religious leaders of the day no it wasn't any of those It was those who were willing to sit at Jesus' feet as his disciples. It was those who were doing the will of God, and it was those who were treated favorably, of course, as Jesus' true family. In other words, it was those who have repented of their sins and turned to Jesus, putting their full trust in him for. Forgiveness of sins and entrance into the kingdom of God. It was for those. Now, let's see if our present text confirms this. Look at Mark chapter 4 and verse 10 and 11. And it says this. And as soon as he was alone, his followers, along with the twelve, began asking him about the parables. Now, here's the group. The groups are the 12 apostles, right, that were chosen by God. And notice other followers were also serious hearers of the gospel. And so they came to Jesus in verse number 11, and he was saying to them, to you, to the inside group, It has been given the mysteries of the kingdom of God. So Jesus is saying to them, listen, to you guys, I'm going to tell you how this mysterious, secret kingdom of God is going to start growing. I'm I'm going to let you in on that. On these seven parables, that is what he begins to do. And as he does that, he readily actually pushes out those who are on the outside. He pushes them further out by his teaching. In fact, look at verse 11 through 13. Here, the outsiders and the parables, this is how it goes there. It says in verse number, middle verse 11, the mystery of the kingdom of God, but those who are outside, verse 11, get everything in parables. Verse 12, so he quotes from Isaiah chapter 6 verse 9 to 10 and he says this in verse 12 so that while seeing they may see and not perceive and while hearing they may hear and not understand otherwise they might return and be forgiven and verse 13 and he said to them do you not understand this parable how will you understand all the parables so he is saying the outsiders are given no further explanation of what this illustration meant. And as long as they remained in unbelief and resisted the gospel, they were not going to receive any more revelation. They would re- they would receive nothing else. In fact, it says in other gospels that even what they do understand will be taken away from them. So, see... When somebody constantly is rejecting revelation from God, and of course he's talking specifically to the Jews, who had the Old Testament scripture, they had the whole full revel- they had the revelation of God up until Christ. they had all the sacrifices, they had all the types and shadows that was pointing forward to a Messiah, they had all of it. And they still weren't believing when Jesus actually came here. And through his miracles, through his healing, through his teaching, they should have recognized this is the Messiah and believed in him. Some did. Of course, some did not. Now, if you notice what it says in verse number 13, or the end of verse number 12, now, if they were or they become receptive to the truth and not refuse it, they will find entry into the kingdom of God because it says this. Otherwise, they may return and be forgiven. There it is. If you return to the truth of God's word, to the Messiah, you will return to him, have entry into the kingdom of God, and be forgiven of your sins. And what's blocking anyone from going into the kingdom of God? Their sins. Either you die in your sins or you die in the Lord, right? So Jesus is saying to this outside group, not that he cuts them off completely, but he says, if you return, just like these other disciples, and if you repent, in other words, and come and be forgiven, you'll have entryway into the kingdom of God. So see, this teaching was designed specifically to actually further harden those who weren't listening and to further illuminate those who are listening and bring them deeper into an understanding of what the truth is. So what's the interpretation of our passage of Scripture? What's the interpretation? Well, in chapter 4, verse 14 through 20, we get that. But let me give you some of the things of what everything means. Jesus explains this story for us. He doesn't explain all his parables, but he does this one. He sets the groundwork for uh, understanding parables. And he says, okay, who is the sower? The sower is Christ. The sower is the preacher. The sower really is anyone who broadcasts the seed of the gospel of the kingdom by the word of God. Of course, they proclaim with with a desire to have the seed planted in the soil of someone's heart. And see that, that seed grow and see the presence of God become evident in the person's life. Now, what does the seed represent? Well, in verse number 14, it said it represents the word of God. The sower sows the word in verse 14. all right. So the message of how to enter God's kingdom, the gospel of salvation, that means there is no such thing as evangelism as of, of, apart from God's word, none. It's got to be the word of God that goes out there. Of course, the evil one is Satan. The evil one is Satan. And the four soils represent the heart of man and how various people receive the word of God. The heart of the hearer is the spiritual equivalent of soil received... Receiving the farmer's seed, of course. Now, if you notice, there's nothing wrong with the sower. There's also nothing wrong with the seed. The problem is in the condition of the soil. The problem is in the condition of the human heart. That's where the problem is. So the soil, which is not properly prepared, will never bear a crop. And so, an important point is that this, uh, the spiritual lesson of, of, at least part of it, of this parable, is a person's response to the gospel depends primarily upon the preparation of that person's heart. The parable showed the necessity of the, the divine work of God upon the heart before there could be spiritual understanding, before there can be spiritual growth, before there could be entryway into the kingdom of God. All right, so Jesus does us a great favor this morning, and he explains it for us. And notice in verse number 15, all right, Jesus interprets this parable, and there's four classes of hearers, or four types of hearts. The first is the roadside soil. That's the hard heart. It says, verse number 15, these are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown, and when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. See, So this person hears the word of God, they do hear, but they don't receive it. This is a hard-hearted, tough-minded, unresponsive, inattentive, negligent, sometimes scoffing and hostile individual. We all have met them. We could have been one of them at one time. Hard as nails when it comes to, I don't believe any of that stuff. They're like the ones described in Proverbs. They hate knowledge and they shun instruction. The truth just seems to bounce off them. Has no effect on them at all. They have it all taken care of. They have figured it all out. They don't need any of it. So the word never penetrates the heart. The word never penetrates the heart. It remains a heart that has never been loosened up by the conviction and the sorrow of sinful behavior or wrongdoing. And because of the pounding of sin upon the heart, It just gets harder and harder and more and more unresponsive to God and his word of salvation. See, they did not seriously hear or carefully consider the message of salvation. And as a result, the word of God is snatched by Satan from the surface of their understanding. So hard, the gospel... comes to them and they receive nothing from it in fact the same parable mentioned in luke chapter 8 says this and beside the road are those who have heard then the e- the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so they will not believe and be saved so see the message is specifically the gospel of the kingdom the message is specifically repentance and faith in Christ and they hear it but they don't believe it and Satan comes immediately and takes it away so they can have no further hearing of it a second soil a second heart is found in verse number 16 and 17 from verse number 5 and that's the shallow rock-based soil it says there in verse 16, in a similar way, these are the ones on whom seed was sown on the rocky places who, when they hear the word, again, they hear it, immediately receive it with joy. They're glad to hear it. Wow, this is great. In verse 17, and they have no firm root in themselves, but are only, but are only temporary. Then when affliction or persecution arises, because of the word, immediately they fall away. So this person receives the word of God as a novelty. Wow, this is new teaching. This is great. This is what I've I always been thinking. And without fully acting upon it, their response is enthusiastic, it seems, but lacking any thought of counting the cost to follow Christ person is happy to hear the word of God but his commitment to Christ is superficial they endure for a while and even show, maybe even show signs of maturity just as a plant sprouts quickly shows at first some promise but then quickly dies off and why does it die off? Well as soon as trouble comes as soon as persecution comes because of the word of God. As soon as trials arise, as soon as some stand must be taken or a sacrifice must be paid, because of the word of God, they abandon it. They say this, hey, it sounded great in the beginning, but I don't need this trouble. I didn't have this trouble before. I was doing fine without this, without this message. And so what they do is they... Quickly abandon the faith. Immediately, there's that word that the Gospel of Mark likes to use. Immediately, they ban, aba, abandon the faith. Why? A little trouble comes in. And you know it. Everybody knows it that when you're a Christian, your faith will be tested. It's going to be tested in all kinds of ways. It's going to be tested so, in the end, you would know you're really a believer. That this, the the seed of the word of God really got planted in your heart. That something has really changed in you. That you're different because of listening to the message and repenting of your sin and believing in Christ. You're different. See, that's why trials come and persecutions come. It's going to come to all believers. Nobody's exempt from that. Everybody is going to go through some kind of testing to see if You have genuine faith to see if you're really made of pure gold. And God's going to test that. He's going to refine you. He's going to turn up the heat. And if you abandon the faith and say, I don't need that, I don't think that's the message for me, then there's no conversion. There's no real, there's no saving faith. They just don't have root to support growth nor endure harsh weather or bear fruit. They just wither away. There's no true repentance of sin. There's no brokenness over sin. They were never alive to Christ. See, that's the shallow base soil. We've seen people like that. I've seen people, if you're a Christian long enough, in the ministry long enough, you see people come and go. And it looks like they trusted Christ. They looks like they had some life. It looks like they believe. And then, boom, they're gone. And they're doing what they possibly did before. And with no effect, with no desire to follow Christ. You know, and not realizing that when you believe in Christ, when you follow Christ, or, or when you reject the message, it has in, eternal consequences. Eternal consequences. All right, then the third one is verse 18 and 19, and that's the thorn-infested soil. And it says this in verse 18. It said, the others are the ones on whom the seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word, but the worries of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. All right, so again, this person hears the word of God, but attempts to mix it with the goals, the desires of the flesh and the pleasures and goals of life in the world. The person is preoccupied with worldly matters. They quickly are distracted by the pursuit of career and the houses and cars and sports And getting wealthy and prestige and riches are everything to them. His motto may be, I want Christ and the world and all it has to offer. I want both. You can't have both. You can't. They just are diametrically opposed to one another. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of world are going in two different directions. This world system is directed by Satan. And his, his desire is to topple over the kingdom of God. God is, going, is already plundering his kingdom with the gospel and will continue to do that till the end. So he's in defeat, for sure. But he doesn't want to let people know that. And so this particular person is a person who loves money and finds more pleasure in cash than Christ. And the world will soon choke it out Whatever, it will soon choke out, Ever, whatever original flimsy intention the person had to live for God. All right, it just won't be there. Their stuff is more important than their Savior. Stuff more important than Savior. So the soil of their heart was full of malignant weeds and could never bear fruit. As the gospel of First John says, or the, uh, the epistle of First John says, "Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It's all choked out. So brethren, this is a good lesson to those who attempt to sow the good seed of the gospel. We all will run across the shallow heart. The short-term would-be convert. And we will also encounter double-minded people who want Christ and the world and at the same same time all their pleasure too. But they can't have both. We will always encounter these three constant enemies of the gospel, the world, the flesh, and Satan. But today, I, I think we ought to be encouraged that the Lord of the harvest can and will break up the stoniest stoniest heart the worldliest heart the shallowest heart and give them ears to hear so they would respond to the gospel and the message of the gospel and as they respond to the message of the gospel they would bear fruit so the last one is given the fertile soil the cultivated fruitful heart in verse number Eight, and then, of course, verse 20, it says, And those who are the ones on whose seed was sown on the good soil, and they hear the word, but what, look what else they do, accept it and bear fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. Not everybody's going to have the same amount of harvest, but God is looking for fruit, and you ought to be looking for fruit t- too, That this person receives the word with an honest and an understanding heart, and necessarily they bear fruit for. If there's no fruit, there is no salvation. If there's no fruit, the seed of the word of God was never planted in the heart, and there's no regeneration, there's no life. There's nothing that happens. And so that person is not in the kingdom of God. They do not have the life of God and the seed of God's life planted in their heart. The proof of salvation is fruit. Even in Matthew it says, You will know them by their fruits. Now what kind of fruits are we talking about? we're talking about, there's all kinds of things that we are talking about when we're talking about fruits. But the Christian continues growing by the word of God. Tribulation, trouble, persecution do not deter them. Worries, wealth, personal desires, sinful cravings do not distract them. Their ears are wide open and their heart receptive to all that God has for them. Always. Now, according to Peter, when you stop desiring the word of God, look for sin, find the sin, repent of it, and get back desiring the word of God. Don't let anything stifle that desire. If you feel cold today in your Christian walk, look for sin. All right, and confess and bring that sin before the Lord. Confess it to him. He's faithful and just to forgive you of that sin and all your unrighteousness. See, the word of God is received by this person and takes root and bears fruit. So the real Christian always bears fruit. And what are some of the fruits? Holiness, the fruit of Christian character, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of good works, the fruit of passion for others to come to Christ, the fruit of desiring to tell them about the message of the gospel, the use of your spiritual gifts to build up the body of Christ, the sharing of what we have with others, the thanking and the praising God, and sinning less, putting our sin to death. Not not becoming sinless, but sinning less and less as you grow in more and more like Christ. Becoming more sensitive and of your sin, more quickly to identify your sin and get rid of it out of your life. See, that is what goes on when the seed of God's word is actually planted in your heart. You don't want sin to fester there anymore. You don't want that. And, And of course, endurance. You don't give up. You get knocked down, you get back up. And you keep going. You open up the word of God and you keep going. You keep serving. You know why? Because the mystery phase of the kingdom is working, but the end's going to come and we're going to go into the presence of God and the kingdom of God's going to come and God's full and the rest of his plan is going to be worked out. And we know that we're part of that because we repented and believe the gospel and we have endured till the end. God has held on to us. Even when we wanted to quit, he wouldn't let us, right? He would challenge us again. Somebody would come along. The word of God would come to us and he would challenge us. Don't quit because you know this is the truth. There's nowhere else to go. Christ is the one you have gone to. There's nowhere else to go. He has the message of eternal life. John chapter six, where are we going to go, Lord? Jesus said, will you leave me too? where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. No one else has done what you've done. No one else has said what you said. No one else, of course, ultimately has accomplished what you have accomplished on the cross. No one else ascended into heaven and we saw you go and no one else says the angel's coming saying the one that you saw go will come in like manner. No one ever said that. No one ever did those things. You did things no one could do. And you did things the prophet said would happen and you did them. See, there's nowhere else to go. Jesus, you, If you reject Jesus, there's no other sacrifice for sin. There's nothing except hell in the wrath of God. It's all that is left. So in the whole process of sharing the faith with lost sinners, we must understand it is the heart that needs transformation. Only God, through the gospel message, can change or regenerate or make that heart born again and alive to him. Only he could do that. No man could do that. We can't save anyone. That's not our job. Our job is to tell the message and let God do the saving. See, that's what our job is. But our job is to grow in Christlikeness. All right? Sanctification is God working and we cooperating with God. All right? So we are to continue growing in the word of God. So the bottom line is this. The secret of the kingdom in this parable announces that for the past over 2,000 years we have been in the seed-sowing age and it's not done yet. We're still in it. That's the nature of what's going on here. And throughout church history there has been a vast amount of preaching and seed-casting but the result has always been the same. Only some hearts are penetrated with the gospel message and bear fruit. Not everyone. And if somebody hears the message and can constantly reject it, usually what happens is that their heart gets harder and harder and harder. God is cultivating hearts, that's for sure. And the fact remains that the new birth And only the new birth gives entrance into the kingdom of God and into the church of Jesus Christ. So, this morning you have to ask yourself, are your ears ready to listen? Is your heart ready to receive what God has all the time? That's what we should always be looking for. Are you receptive and sensitive to God's truth? Or even when we come together in worship, or is your mind out on the golf course? Is your mind over there working on some work problem that you had all week, and you bring it in here? That's not being receptive. See, that's our work, too, is to make our mind and heart ready to worship. That should start on on Monday morning. As you're in the Word of God and reading it and leads up to Saturday. Saturday, you're taking care of things ahead of time so you're not rushing out and you're not frantic by the time you get here. You you get to the door, I don't even know if I want to go in. That's not a receptive heart. That's a heart that's very close to being concerned about the worries of the world and of their life. See, do you allow the Word of God to settle down into your soul so you can think about it? during the week so when you wake up tomorrow morning you're thinking about the word of god you go to bed thinking about it you go to you wake up thinking about it and the word of god as you think about it as you chew upon it it begins to transform your mind It begins to move you away from being pressed into the mold of the world that's all around you and to the people who don't want anything to do with God. All that they want is to live according to their passions and desires. They don't want that. You don't want to be around them. You don't want them to influence you. You want to influence them with the gospel and with your Christian life. See, do you allow to settle down into your heart, into your thinking, so that it turns you from your sin every day to the Lord Jesus Christ. And do you and others see Holy Spirit fruit develop in your life? Since you become a Christian, where's the fruit? You have to see the fruit. You can't be in the Christian life for for one year, five years, 10 years, 20 years, and have no fruit. Somebody can go through the doors of a church for their whole life and never have fruit. It means they never had conversion. They're in trouble. That's why the gospel has to be continually put out before people. So the only person who was able to enter the kingdom of God in this parable, is the person who had ears to hear the true meaning. Their ears heard the message of the gospel of the kingdom, and their heart received the message, and repented of their sin, and turned and believed in Jesus. And then once they believed in Jesus, and they... Receive forgiveness of sins and eternal life, they continued to follow Jesus through thick and th- thin, through persecution and good times on the mountaintops and in the valleys. And they, through their whole life, bear, they began to bear fruit all their life. And they began, became stronger and stronger in the Christian faith. See, that's what we want. We want to grow from babes to young men to spiritual fathers. We want people to live by faith. So this parable is very powerful to set the basis for all the rest of the parables and to know that when Jesus is teaching, one side is going out to those who are really listening to establish them in the faith. The other side is going out to those and harden their heart even more. And that's the the gospel's two-edged. It's either going to save or it's going to condemn. That's what it does. It's powerful. Let's pray. Lord thank you again this morning for the incredible clear word of God. Lord as we read these things they do bring conviction to our heart. They do bring a seriousness and a soberness to our mind. Lord make us people who can answer the question and the statement that Lord gave out. And that is this, do we have ears to hear? Do we have a heart that receives God's Word? Do we have a heart that's growing and bearing fruit? I pray, Lord, that is something we know for sure, and that we would be able to be broadcasters of the Word of God to those all around us. And I thank you, Lord, for this time and this day, and I ask you, Lord, to bless the rest of our week so we can think about the Word of God. And I pray this in your name. Amen.